The, the first commandment uh, that we see in Exodus chapter 20 in those Ten Commandments that was handed down to Moses there on Mount Sinai was that we'd have no other gods before the Lord. There'd be no other gods before our God. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever put something in front of the Lord? I have. So we've all broke the first commandment. The second commandment was that we make no graven image. We wouldn't make anything that looks like the Lord. How many of us have ever been a part of something or done something in which there's been a graven image? Some of you are wondering about this. I want to just give you two examples. I grew up, I was a part of a church, and hanging on the back wall of this church was an image of Jesus. Now, what He looked like was a shampoo model. Now, I don't think that's what Jesus actually looked like, but there was this expression, and as a result of that, what happens is we begin to get in our mind's eye that that's who Jesus was. God's desire is that we'd see who Jesus was, that we'd see who God is through His Word and through the revelation of His Spirit, not by an account of man that is put onto some image or onto some film. It's important that we see God for who He is as He has revealed Himself in His Scriptures and as He continues to dwell with us by His Spirit. The third commandment is that we would not take God's name in vain. How many of us have ever done that? Y'all just going to let the pastor be up here just calling out all his sins and act like y'all are righteous, huh? (laughs) I have. Any of you ever said OMG in a text message? Well, I meant gosh, did you? We've found ourselves to, to be loose in how we respect and revere the name of God. The fourth commandment is that we would honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. How many of us are diligent to be mindful of the Lord's day? You know that we've broken that from time to time. The fifth commandment is the first commandment that's given to us with promise in which that we would honor our father and our mother. How many of us have been guilty of not honoring our dads and our moms? The sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Now, you're like me, I've never murdered somebody. But Jesus clarified that a little bit in the New Testament. He said that if anybody's ever had anger in their heart or said raka towards their brother, that they've committed murder already in their hearts. How many of us have done that? The seventh commandment is that we would not commit adultery. Now, if you're like me, you've never committed adultery, but Jesus clarified that one a little bit too. He said that anybody that's looked upon another with lust in their heart has committed adultery already in their hearts. How many of us have broke the seventh commandment? We get to the eighth commandment. It says, thou shalt not steal. And we think about thou shalt not steal, and we generally say, well, you know, I've never shoplifted anything. I've never done something along those lines. But I would suspect that either as a children, you took something that wasn't yours, or maybe you even just cheated or bent the rules a little bit at tax time or some other time of year uh, when it comes to those types of things. How many of us have stolen The ninth commandment is that we would not bear false witness, that we wouldn't lie. How many of us have broken the ninth commandment? The tenth commandment's the first one that gets to the heart. All these other things that we've talked about have been outward things. The ninth one gets to the heart, or the tenth one, excuse me, gets to the heart. He says, Thou shalt not covet. How many of us have been guilty of coveting 
something in our hearts desiring that which is not ours. I have been guilty of coveting. What we've admitted to then is that each one of us have broken not just one of the Ten Commandments, but all of them. Whatever are we going to do? If that's where it ended, we would be without hope. All of us, by our own admission today, are guilty. We are sinners. And not only are we sinners in some small part, each one of us have admitted today that we've broken the full Ten Commandments, the full Decalogue that God handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai. Each one of us is guilty today and in our sins. Read with me. Here in Romans chapter 7, while, while we're getting there, I want to read just one verse. This is one from which I would take my title today. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. It says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The strength of sin is the law. Read with me the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 7. Uh, actually, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the last verse of Romans chapter 6, uh, just to set some context here. It says, For the last verse of Romans chapter 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath the husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions, that is the passions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive once, was for, excuse me, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now I know there's a lot of language in there that would be easily to, to get mixed up on, and we're going to try to, to be diligent here as we look to these things today. But I hope that what we will see as we would look at these scriptures today, as we look at what Paul was telling us here in the book of Romans, and I want you to know, I just read 14 verses, but really the, the full text that I would have for you today is Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8. But if I was to spend time reading all that today, all of you would probably leave. 
But what we'll see as we look to this is the reality of what the law has done in revealing sin, and that as the law has revealed sin, we have come to know grace that has set us free from the law. He says that the wages of sin is death. Now we know something about wages. We earn a wage when we go and work. We earn something that is paid to us as a wage. Death is what we earn for sin. Just to put it very simply, death comes upon us as a consequence of sin. If not for sin, we would not die. We see that with Adam, don't we? So long as Adam and Eve were living in that righteous and holy state in which they were created, they would have lived on with God and not have known death. In fact, before Adam and Eve transgressed the law that God had given them, there was no death upon the world. But God told Adam and Eve that the day that you would take that fruit, that the day that you would eat thereof, you would surely die. They would be separated. And wouldn't you know it, that is exactly what happened. When they took of that fruit, they brought separation upon themselves where they became dead in their sins. They were no longer alive. Yes, they were still living. But they became separated from God. And God in His love and in His compassion, He took and He killed an animal to make for them a coat to cover them. Before that death, there had never been death before. But death has reigned now as a consequence of sin and it continues to reign even today. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God I want you to compare those two words. Wage being something you earn and a gift being something that is freely given to you that you have not earned. That the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's on this basis that Paul goes into this exposition of the law. And he says, no you not, brother. He's writing to people that have an awareness of the law. And listen to me, it's going to be very important that we keep in mind the purpose for which Paul is writing and who he is writing to here. If we try to pull this out and we put it in the context merely of today, we're going to lose what is being said to us here by the Word. But what we see is that Paul says, I'm writing to people that know the law and that how the law hath a dominion over man so long as they are alive. <laughs> I'm so thankful for that. We're going to read a little bit later on in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans that did you know that sin has an expiration date? Sin can only take us to the grave, but it can't take us any further. Sin has no dominion over us after death. The law has no dominion over us after death. That there is a limitation that is put on the law. And that limitation is bound by death. And that's what Paul is saying. And he gives to us an example, an example that all of us can understand about marriage. When a man and a woman come together in marriage and they say their vows, what do they say? They say, till death do we part. They are putting an expiration date upon the law that they are entering into, upon the commandment that they are entering into in marriage. And so Paul says that if a woman has a husband and this husband would die, that she is free from that law. She is no longer underneath the constraints of that marriage. And if she was to go and marry another, she would not be an adulteress. Why? Because her previous marriage had met its expiration. 
the law that she was under had expired in death. Paul is making that declaration. He's using this example of marriage as, as a way to explain it. And he comes into verse 4 and he says, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. He is saying that if you've been saved by God's grace, you are no longer underneath that which has at once bound you to the law. That there was a death that took place to satisfy what the law required. What are you saying? You ever heard somebody, when we refer to a sinner, and we'd say that they are in bondage to sin? That they are a slave to sin? Or we would simply say that someone is lost and in their sins? That's what we're talking about. Is that they're bound to sin so long as they've not come to be freed by the grace that is of the Lord and Jesus Christ, so long as they're not saved, they find themselves under the law continuing in a bondage to sin. They are enslaved by sin. It has grabbed a hold of them so much that it will not let go. And that sin, the law that has revealed that sin, requires death. Remember, the wages of sin is death. But Paul is saying, because of the death of another, Jesus Christ, we can be freed from the law and enter into instead that with, with which with Jesus we would find freedom and liberty. It's awesome. <laughs> he is saying there's a transaction that takes place when we are saved. We go from that which is underneath slavery and bondage to law and we are freed from it. Jesus has wrote for us that ransom that has paid for us to be set free. And having paid for us to be set free, He sets us at liberty. But wouldn't you see that He who has paid our ransom and purchased us out of that slavery and sin and has set us free, we now call Oh Lord, why? Because He has purchased us out of that slave arrangement with sin. We've been set free. It is though we become yoked to. Paul actually uses the word married. Again, using his example that we become married then to that which is now resurrected in Christ Jesus. We've been set free. That we should bring forth fruit unto God. That there will be that expectation then. That seeing that we are set free, that we would be that which is profitable unto the Lord. It says, For when we are in the flesh, the passions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. We see this comparing and contrasting with this idea of fruit. That previously all that the law did was awaken in us this desire for sin. I want you to stop and think about for a minute the laws that we have in society today. What is the purpose of all the laws that we have in society today? You know, I've often thought, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but normally at July 1st, just a couple of days before July 1st, the Indianapolis Star will come out with this great big write-up about all the new laws that go into effect starting on July 1st. That's normally when the state of Indiana enacts new laws. I got to thinking one time about that. You would think at some point they'd run out of new laws, right? I mean, you know, at some point we, we just, we have a law for everything. We don't need anything else. Maybe I'm just too simple-minded to understand all of that. But what we see that the reason why these laws exist, the reason why these laws are given, is that it might be something that can settle disputes. 
I want to ask you a question. Somebody goes flying down Graham Road right here, and we'd all be standing outside. We'd say, that person is driving too fast. And all of a sudden, somebody says, you know what? I'm going to go stop them up here at the stop sign. I want to talk to them about how fast they're going. And so they go up to that person. They say, you are going way too fast. And they say, you think so? I didn't think I was going too fast at all. Now, which one of them is right? They have a dispute. Which one of them is correct? If there's no law, we can't determine who is correct. But when we point back, when we say that speed limit sign back there says 40 miles an hour, and you just said you were going 60, I'm correct. <laughs> you were going too fast. The law settles the dispute. And so what we see then is that the law has revealed to us that we are in dispute with God. The law has revealed to us how we are separated from God. If the law was not revealed to us, we would not know that covenanting would reveal to us that lust that we have in our hearts to, co- to covet after something. That's what Paul gets to. He said the law came, and because the law came, it has made known unto me that this lust I have in my heart is exceedingly sinful. That the purpose of the law was to point us to the righteousness of God in our sinfulness. That this dispute would be settled. And that we would see the reality that we indeed are sinful. And being sinful, we are separated from God. You see that? In fact, the book of Galatians, Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said that the law is a schoolmaster. I've heard it said before that the law is a type of mirror. It does the revealing to us concerning our sins. You see, Paul, he would go into the synagogues and, and he would reason with the Jews over these things. And the, the Jews upheld the law very highly. So the things that Paul was saying, they would be asking, Paul, are you telling us that the law itself is sinful? And Paul says, not at all. He says, God forbid, I'm certainly not saying that. He says, but what I am saying, that the law has exposed my sin. It has revealed that I am sinful. I want you to know that that law continues to reveal sin today. Not only in the life of the sinner, but in the life of the believer as well. I think sometimes we, we know and we recognize that we are no longer underneath law, that we are under grace, and we use that as though we, we have this then that would almost give us a permission concerning sin. But that's not so. Instead, what we see is that the law continues to apply today. The law continues to have its purpose and its effect today, and it will continue to do so until it expires at death. And we're going to talk about that more here in just a second. But he goes on, he says, but sin taking occasion by the commandment, sin taking this opportunity because of the law, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. It's produced all of these different evil desires in me. For without the law, sin was dead. Without the law, sin was dead. There was no effect of sin when the law had not entered. Now, I want to make a point here, just for those keeping score. That you would say, Derek, what happened then between Adam and Moses? Scripture has made clear that while the law was not handed down until it was handed down to Moses, that the law was in effect. And the people were aware of that law by their conscience. And so as a result of that, while the law may not have been handed down until Moses, it was still in effect. 
And so then the law having come, this commandment having came, it is what would reveal to us sin. Listen to verse 9. It says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. This verse will just drive a hyper-Calvinist nuts. They just can't quite spin themselves out of it. And I enjoy watching them try. But it seems pretty evident to me what Paul's talking about. He says that I was alive once. He said I was happy, I was free, I was unaware of my transgressions. There was not that effect in him where he would have a knowledge of his sins. Knowledge not only of his sins, but knowledge that his sins would be a separation between him and God. I have a niece here today. Her name is Charlotte. We affectionately call her Charlie, and I affectionately shorten that to Chuck, mainly just to drive my sister crazy. But she's one year old, and she's a sinner. She doesn't know it yet, but she's a sinner. Someday she's going to know it. Right now, she's alive without the wall. Someday that law is going to be awakened in her heart. And when that commandment is awakened in her heart, that sin is going to revive itself and its awareness to her. And she is going to feel dead in her sins. Because she's going to be. But right now, thanks be to God, because of His loving hand and because of His compassion, while that sin has not awakened itself in her, she is underneath His protecting hand. I want to make clear right now that if something was to happen to one of these little babies who have not reached a time which they become accountable for their sins according to the awakening of the law in their hearts, they would go on to be with God in heaven for all eternity. And I stand on that. And I'm happy to talk to any hyper-Calvinist about it. Because <laughs> they can't stand on that. That's one reason why that heresy is so awful. Now, there does come a time then where sin revives. And where sin is revived, there is death. There is a separation that is awoken in the hearts of a lost person when they become to the point where they become aware of their situation, when they become aware of their sins and how far those sins have separated them from God, there is a convincing that takes place in that. That's what conviction means. There is a conviction that happens where they become convicted of their sins. God has revealed to them. They see the law just like all of us went through that exercise earlier where each one of us would, if you didn't, you should have, each one of us raised our hands all ten times on those laws I, I stated to you from the 20th chapter book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, that there would become a time where that lost sinner would have a revelation in their hearts by the Spirit of God that they are convicted of those sins. They become convinced of the reality that they are a sinner. And I want you to know that there is something that accompanies that convincing, that reveals death. And that which accompanies conviction that reveals death, that reveals separation in that unpleasant way that all of us remember, is contrition. We become crushed by the reality of our sins having separated us from God. How many of us were crushed when we were lost? 
If you got a good dose of conviction, you were crushed by the weight of your sins. Suddenly, that sin for which you would stand in judgment, you feel the weight of it that you are carrying upon your shoulders and it is too great for you to carry and it would seem as though it would just collapse you and crush you. It is so great. And man, it's an awful feeling to be separated from the very one who made you. The only way I can still describe it today is that there's just a pit in my stomach. Right? I just didn't know what to do. And I was miserable. And I was as lost as lost could be. And there came a point where all I knew to do was cry out to God. And wouldn't you know it, by His grace, He heard me and He saved me. <laughs> That's just the way He is. He still does that today. And I'm glad that He does. But I want you to know that this sin, this, 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 what Paul is ex- has experienced, what he's testifying of, what the reality of it is that he experienced a convincing, a conviction that led to his contrition. He said, in the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. These laws that he had once thought were to, to life, he's now found to death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. He's not condemning the law, though. Listen to what he says. He says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. I think we have, we today, we have a a problem where sometimes we get stuck in this idea of legalism. Listen, the law, the commandment of the Lord, it's the law, and it's the commandment of the Lord. And it's good. And it's just and it's holy. And if we want to somehow wrestle with it as though we would find a way of escape and that, that well, you're just being too legalistic, I want you to know what we need to have in mind is not some excuse for us, but we need to have a higher level of, of understanding and a higher level of respect for the law. We are talking about the commandments of God. We're not talking about some ordinance that your your homeowners association has for you that you think's a little odd. We're talking about the high decree of Almighty God. There are times where what we deal with in life, it is evident to us that it is transgressing the law of God. And when we have that realization, no matter how much we are accustomed to something, no matter how much we feel right about something, until this law has revealed itself to us, we do right to excuse ourselves from it and say, no longer will I have anything to do with this which transgresses the law of God. Listen to me, if you find yourself messing with the things which God hates, too long, you're going to find yourself in a world of trouble. You do well to free yourselves from the things that God hates. Sister Becky read to us this morning as we were reading Proverbs in Sunday school class about those seven abominations, those seven deadly sins that are accounted for us in the book of Proverbs. If you're wondering what things does God hate. If you're wondering what are these things that God has clearly revealed to us we are not to have any involvement in, they're there. They're there. And most of the time, you know, I don't even have to, to go looking for them. 
For God has revealed to me in my conscience those things. I say, this just doesn't seem right. There's something here that is just not, not, not adding up. There's something here that is, is causing an issue with my spirit that I can't come to a point where I can say this is right. And you know what I do with those things? I assume that they're not right. And I don't involve myself in them. A lot of times people say, well, you know, it's a gray area, so I guess it's okay. That's not the right attitude for the Christian. If there's a gray area, I assume it's not okay. Because I have a high mind for the law and commandment and statutes of God. And I would be better off and better suited that I would be mindful of the things which the Lord loves and not the things which the Lord hates. Let me ask you a question. How many of us here the last week, two weeks, month, two months, however long, have found ourselves just frustrated with the state of our society? Whether that's the state of economics, whether it's the state of, of things that are going on morally in our society, whether that's things that are going on as a response to COVID with vaccines and all those things. How many of us have just found ourselves frustrated with the things that are going on in society? Just me? Surely I'm not the only one. <laughs> I mean, I'm frustrated. You know what the right thing to do when you're frustrated with society it is? Get out of it. Go guard and hide your heart in the Lord. And you will find yourself there to be fulfilled. And you'll find yourself knowing how to react to those things that frustrate you all the more. When I find myself to just be overly concerned and it's just impacting me spiritually, not knowing what to do as I grow frustrated with the things that I see around me, the only answer that I've ever found to find peace is that I would go and I would return and find myself lost in God. And in those moments, He reveals Himself and He reveals His character and His nature and the things that He has in store and planned and in mind that far exceed the worries of this temporary life. Listen, I'm like you. I get frustrated. I would call us just to be careful. Your frustrations are probably right. (laughs) I probably agree with them. But when you find yourself just be bogged down by the things that are going on around about you, Excuse yourself from them. And go get lost in prayer. Go get lost in study. Go get lost in meditating about the character of God. Find yourself instead not to be so minded and bogged down by the affairs of this temporary life. And instead that you be mindful rather of those things that are eternal. I just needed to make mention of those things. He comes to verse 13 says, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Paul is is revealing to us clearly here about conviction. He's saying, was this sin, was the purpose of the law then just that I might die? He, He answered the first question that he asked was, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? He said, no. He said, was in that which is good, was this commandment, was this law that is good, did it kill me? Was it made death for me? Was that which otherwise might be good is instead it deadly? And he said, God forbid. He said, instead, that sin might appear as sin, and it working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Listen, we just all agreed on those ten things. 
And I know that was an exercise where all we did was raise our hands and it was rather kind of light in its reality. But I want you to know our sins are not just some small weight. They're not just some small things. Our sins are exceedingly sinful. They are so great and they are so heavy that there is absolutely nothing that we could do about them on our own. My friend, you will never escape your sins on your own. It is though you are in a hole and the only tool you have is a shovel and you might go to work trying to dig yourself out of that hole and all you're going to find is it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. The only answer for sin that there has ever been and the only answer for sin that is today and the only answer for sin that is to come is Jesus. Our only hope in dealing with this exceeding sin is that Christ Jesus has died and satisfied the law's demands. Turn back with me just a couple of pages in my copy of the text. but Just back to Romans 5. And I'll try to close here in just a moment. I just want to read a couple of verses here in Romans chapter 5. Begin at verse 18. It says, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. These are some of the most wonderful Scriptures in all of the Bible. Some of the most wonderful verses that have ever been recorded by the hand of man as God directed Paul to write these things. What we see here is the great revelation of what Christ Jesus has done for us in His obedience and in His sacrifice, paving a way to eternal life for me, a sinner. Paul says that it was by one man's disobedience, by Adam, all of us have inherited this nature of sin. Even Derek, here today, just a few days old, he has a sin nature that he has inherited. It's come down through Richard, and Richard got it through his dad, and his dad got it through his dad, and if we keep going, we're going to get to Adam. There is a sin nature that each of us has inherited. We are sinful. I said Charlotte is a sinner. My mom hates it when I say that about one of her grandbabies. But it's true. I've heard Brother Gary talk about it. About how that baby will cry like it needs its diaper change and it's not wet at all. That baby will cry like it's hungry and it just got fed. That baby just cried and just carry on just because it once held as though something is wrong. Baby's they have a tendency to lie. They're just little sinners. We love them though, don't we? <laughs> they're awful precious. But they are. And they're going to need a Savior. But each of us has inherited this nature of sin. But, even as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. 
that because of Christ's obedience unto the Father, because of Christ's obedience unto the death that was foreordained, that we would even see back in the prophecies, because of Christ's obedience to take on sin on our behalf, we can be made righteous. Listen to this. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law came. We have these commandments of God that we might realize the greatness of the sin that is not just around us, but the greatness of sin that is in us. We have a tendency sometimes to take this verse and want to apply it outwardly. But this verse is meant to be applied inwardly. That the sin, that there would be sin that would abound. We say, well, yes, there's just sin all over the place. No, listen, there is sin all over your life. There is sin in your heart. This morning you have fought more wickedness that is sufficient to condemn you to a devil's hell for all eternity. If I was to play behind me on a screen just the thoughts of your life for the past six hours, you would run out of this place in shame. The law entered that your sins would be revealed. But, and I'm so grateful for this, but where that sin has abounded in my life, the grace of God has abounded all the more. Where I have found myself to wrestle with this sinful nature that I have in the flesh, when I have found myself to wrestle with this carnal mind that sets its attention and sets its lust on things that are so temporary and so unnecessary in life, what I find myself to know and to realize is that the grace that God provides is so much greater. It is what is able to take that law that is revealed to us, our death, that we are separated from God. It is that grace that brings us to Him. It is that grace that abounds all the more. And listen to this. I already told you that sin has an expiration date. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign unto eternal life through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I misquoted that a little bit. But listen to me. Where we see the law end, where we see sin end, when we close our eyes in death, grace keeps on. Grace doesn't end when we close our eyes in death. Grace doesn't end when we're lowered into a grave. Grace keeps on unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen to me. We've studied here through the book of Hebrews. And we know how in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews it tells us that those that come unto God must believe that He is and believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And you've heard me make mention of that, that if you're going to come and you're going to cry out to the Lord and desire to be saved, that you can't just come believing that he, He can save you, but you must believe that He will save you. Listen to me. What we see here in this verse should awaken in your heart to make you realize, yes, you are a sinner, but God's grace is enough to save you. God's grace is sufficient to take you from death unto life. God's grace is sufficient to change your inward nature and to change your heart. You say, Derek, I've just been battling with sin and I I just have come to the realization that there is nothing in me good enough to be saved. I want you to know you are exactly right, but God's grace is able. And so today, as we already have one up here seeking after the Lord, come not just believing that He can, but believing that He will. Believing that He will because His grace abounds more than your sins. 
but it is the law that has told you you're a sinner. It is God's grace that will tell you you're a saint. Cry out for grace. Cry out that God's unmerited favor would reign over you and would fall over you. Brother Brett, let's get a song. I know we have one seeking, but I want to give opportunity for others. Listen to me. The strength of sin is the law. When you have a dispute with God, you're on the wrong side of it. You're on the losing side. But thanks be to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who, though He was without sin, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The strength of sin is the law, but the strength of righteousness is the grace of God. And it's far greater. Let's sing and let's sing today.